I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking, and wheeling in the UK and beyond. I'm Ned Bolting. I'm Adam Tranter. And I'm Laura Laker. It's easy as that, really, podcasting, isn't it? (laughs) And this week we're discussing why Oxford is so popular for cycling. Is it something to do with the university? Is it an ingrained cycling culture? Is it because for decades they've filtered through traffic on minor roads? Is it because it costs 35 quid to park a car for 24 hours? In this episode, we'll be exploring Oxford's new low-traffic neighbourhoods and how they have struck a nerve, but we'll also look at all the filters that are the staple of Oxford's cycling network and often go unnoticed. We'll also confront the slightly awkward truth that Oxford doesn't have very good cycle lanes and shows that perhaps they're not always needed. We'll talk to Councillor Emily Kerr, who will take us on a short tour of her neighbourhood. But before we even get to Oxford, Laura, yeah. Ha- well, no, let's start with Adam. Adam, because I know how Laura got here. Well, I know a bit of the story anyway. How did you get to Oxford, Adam? Um, did you drive? And have you parked your car no, for 35 quid? No, and actually I have done that once years ago. And you know what? It really left an impression on me not to do it ever again. Oh, really? I really? You li- put off I had it? my little electric car and I parked up and it was 35 quid for, for the day. We were staying in a hotel, like on a family getaway. And I saw this forum thread afterwards with Oxfordshire councillors talking about the parking policy and people saying you should make electric vehicle charging cheaper for people coming into the city to encourage it. And I'm like, no, you shouldn't. I'm an idiot. I drove here in the in the face of sustainable options. I've got. A, I'm taking up just as much of space as the next person. Yeah. You should be charging me through the nose for this parking. And I'm grateful that you did. And I'm probably that's the only time anyone has ever said that to them. To them. <laughs> but yeah, so I drove in years ago and never did it again. So today I got the uh, train from my local station to Coventry to Oxford. Split ticket, twenty four pound return. It's not right. bad. Yeah. That's pretty good. Really, and I've just it? been cycling around. It's so, funny, isn't it? There is this perception which is partly true i think undeniably true but only in part that um train travel in the uk is is ludicrously overpriced which is some I mean, of you it can is find yeah so, no 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 i'm not denying it for a second mm. laura some of it is i mean just mind-blowingly overpriced it kind mm. of like leaves you but just recently I've, I've been messing around at the commonwealth games and i've been kind of just coming and going to and from the line that you must take quite often though the warwick to yeah um, to, to london yeah, line. that's one of, one of the ones i did today yeah it's a bus with with it's a bus on, bus on tracks, isn't it? The whole thing rattles. But you know, it was like thirty quid return or something. I thought that was all right. I think it's okay. So I've taken the train along with Laura from Paddington up to Oxford and back again. Thirty four quid. I don't know what you paid. Uh, Twenty because um network oh. rail card. Uh. Oh, mm. Yeah, but thirty. I mean, I think that's. It's about right. It's like maybe a little bit too, but yeah. I don't think it's unreasonable. I don't think it's unreasonable. It's an yeah. hours ride, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, pretty good. So anyway, I got so the train, but you got the train. We've all got our bicycles here. That was yeah. a bit of a mission, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I realised actually, you can book the um, bike space on the GWR app. You can just click how many bike spaces you want, and I have one ticket, so I got one bike space. And Did actually, they, char- it wasn't they too charge bad. you quid for no, something? No, they don't charge you anything actually. Usually, I would do it through something like Trainline, and then you have to phone up. Uh, and it's quite yeah. slow because then the person on the line 
has to put you on hold. And other side check. of the world. They're yeah. the other side of the world yeah, as well. Yeah, I think they, they are. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, they have to put you on hold and then check for the spaces. And it is quite... I've, I've booked a space last minute with my bike before and had to wait sort of on the platform for them to yeah. get my bike space and sort of crossing my fingers given I've just spent money on a ticket. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's the most ludicrous system that did, yeah did you um that's all well and good but the the cycle parking <laughs> the actual, no because the the giant part of the part of the issue is the the booking and stuff mm. but the the uh, other issue is those gwr trains cycle you have to torture chamber you have to sort of lift your bike up onto like a little hook yeah, don't yeah. you and how, a, how, yeah, you how are you going to do that if you've got an wheel. e-bike yeah, or I've if got you a little video actually you know. my bike just like being swacked against the side of the bike carriage is just dangling from its front wheel. But like I, I meat got hook style, like yeah, a carcass in the really back of a refrigerator It's, it's harsh, yeah. I've but that's if you've got the strength bike. to get it up there in the first yeah, place. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, I've, I've got my pinky bike there before and it's got really fat wheels and fat mm. tires because mm. it's, you know, it's designed to be bashed around and uh, I couldn't get it off. I think the feeling is that they just make it as difficult as possible to put you off travelling with a bike. Yeah, I, think that's what I don't it know if that's to. true, but it does. Know. That's how it feels. It, that's how it feels. It very feel much like, feels like it that. It doesn't feel really feel like. And, and the um, and the, st- the train staff actually, I was sort of panicking because I got to my station and I couldn't get the bike off, and and the train guy manager guy said he couldn't, he wasn't allowed to help me in case. What, they, just in Oxford, they were now. told no on a previous journey. They've been told they're not allowed to help in Elf case they safety. in case they break the bike and oh. you sue them. Yeah, in case they break the bike wheel unhooking it. So yeah, it's really. Yeah. Yeah. His feeling was that they make it deliberately difficult, and he he was kind of on the borders of Wales and England, and he gets the sort of the other trains. Basically, he's yeah. got a different a different choice of train, so yeah. he just doesn't bother getting the Jubilee ones. Yeah. Well, we're here now. Yeah, we we're here, here now. What do we? You know, we're outside the Handlebar Cafe and the Kitchen. Handlebar. That's not a plug because it's we had to pay four pounds seventy five for this cola. It's nice. Um, <laughs> but um, it's from Hamburg. It's like from Hamburg. Yeah, we're it's in a little quite, parklet. Quite actually, cool. aren't we, we are in a little parklet. It's lovely. You've got, we're in me and Laura in the shade, and, and Ned as a seasoned traveller yeah, is yeah. Uh, just burning in full sun that's the sound of me drinking the coke but yeah. I'm sure he's used to it being on his Tour de France escapades yeah. and I don't, I don't know I wanted to come to Oxford because as I say I came here with family well a month or so ago now and I, I loved it I just loved walking around and I kind of felt this is what it's about and, and several things came to my head about this one is there's this whole thing about the Conservative Party you know leadership election and the next next Prime Minister and um, there's a concern... Is there? I hadn't noticed. There, well, yeah, it's been stretched out. But all that aside, you've got two candidates that are both taught at Oxford. They both did their degrees. And Oxford has added many of the political class of, of all political colours. And we're getting a little street, a street sweeper. No, that's no, a... It's uh, just an overheating mini. Oh, right. Oh, God. That's probably a metaphor there, isn't there? Yeah. Sort of like a combustion tra- engine car about to explode. The fans just going in the dessert. hot weather. They're made here, aren't they? Minis. They are. Yeah, they're made here. There we go. So we should be grateful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> of them. But no, the next prime minister will have been educated at Oxford. Hmm. But it's by no means a certain that the next prime minister will fully embrace active travel like Boris Johnson. They probably cycle. Would, they, would they've cycled to uni? Well, do you this think? is it. This is. I think they must have. They must go. You know, you walk around here and you go, "This is nice." And I wonder whether people think you can only do this because it's Oxford and it's slightly mm. different. Because I look at it from a transport point of view. I'm like, well, all it is, it's filters, it's it's modal filters, it's bus gates, it's cycle lanes. Yeah. So you can do that anywhere, and. I think people think you can't do it just because it's Oxford. You know, that's different and new. But I think you could do this anywhere. And I wonder whether, rather than having like mini Hollands, whether we should be selling mini Mini Oxfords. Mini carriages. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't don't know. Just a thought out there. But anyway, I like it here. It's a good thought. I was looking up the stats for cycling levels. 40% of people in Oxford cycle at least once a week. Uh, That's presumably hugely different from the rest of the yeah country. cambridge is 55 percent, but wow. the rest of us i don't actually know what the national average is for per week i know that overall mode share is one or two percent for yeah. cycling but i don't know like how many people yeah. cycle, cycle at least once a week i think it's in low twen- low 20s i think i might have a link actually mm. yeah yeah notes. so in other words it's twi- at least twice as popular in oxford Definitely. as it is sort of on, on yeah. average uh, people just sort yeah. of accept it really check. don't they you know yeah. it's like that oxford call themselves a cycling city yeah. and that's sort mm. of like yeah philip pullman Oh, oh yes. he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it much, does he? No, he, he lives doesn't in Oxford, like, doesn't like yeah. it. He thinks that he somehow thinks that people who cycle without bike lights are an affront to him. Yeah. Ah, I mean, yeah. ideally, have bike lights. Yeah. Like that's also, like in the top hundred things that you could be annoyed about. It annoys me because I I was forced to read Philip Pullman books growing up. Yeah. They they, they were on the <laughs> almost on the curriculum. Yeah. 
So I, I kind of, you know, I feel like, you know, that, but, that's, but, a, but that's, that's a slight on me, actually. But, that, I, that, I, don't but I mean, it is just one of those things that grates, doesn't it? Grates with the cycling community a bit like mm. Grant Chapson, he's the Transport Secretary, his announcement the other day that they're going to draft legislation to change the terms in which you can prosecute a cyclist for causing uh, yeah. a death. Yeah. You know, after that, 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 that prosecution for wanton and... Reckless, yeah, yeah, furious, furious, cycling. furious cycling so it needs updating does it don't know if it yeah. does really because that happened and that seemed appropriate is it a use of our legislative time and, and that's the point isn't it because you know the legislative times like gold dust yeah. you know, there are th- really yes. big things to be getting on with and, and they chose to they chose that instead, more, which more is, people are killed by cows than cyclists which is literally which, yeah. just a thing that isn't a thing yeah. you know, and it's just that's always the case isn't it Philip Pullman look at all these riders without they're really annoying me without mm. their bike lights on well they're kind of like that's a bit daft for them but it's kind of up to them yeah yeah Move it's on, why it's Philip. why scientists don't go on anecdotal evidence isn't it it's just it's just not reflective of we just yes. we notice what we want to notice i mean yeah so what's the figure um, laura i found the figures that's laura so nationally 11 percent of adults in this is 2019 figures 11 percent of adults cycled at least once per week but a small number but four percent yeah. of local authorities had yeah, more than 20 percent of adults cycling at least once a week. Obviously, Oxford and Cambridge being the, being the biggest ones of those. Bristol, probably. Bristol's probably quite Bristol. cycling, isn't it? Yeah, perhaps. Mm. Isn't York, York quite nice for say, cycling? Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. Exeter. So, yeah. so the incomparable yeah. truth here is that, you know, we'll talk about the low-traffic neighbourhood stuff in, in due course, but actually, sort of the cycling infrastructure, you know, the stuff that we're, if I don't mind blowing our own trumpet, the stuff that we're building in, Coventry and like these, you know, cycle lanes of the future, LTM 120 compliant. They look brilliant and they are brilliant. But here they've just sort of got some white lines. A little bit. And uh, when we cycled from, we cycled from the train station to come and meet you at the athletics track, and there was that little filter at the lights for cyclists wasn't there where the queue mm. of buses had been stopped at a red light oh yeah but there was a green light oh for yeah cyclists. the little painted lane advance, on the inside we had to advance kind of on the inside of three oh. buses yeah Very and close i'm going and i went for it and i'm kind of going any minute now any minute now the buses are going to get Just the green light any minute now the, the buses are going to get the go- and they're all going to start moving and then it happens yeah and then i thought laura's got stuck the wrong Just side as of that, i was behind she? the front wheel yeah so it, that felt a bit bodged and a bit Horrible. patched yeah. on mm. and a bit kind of not then, terribly safe actually yeah, yeah. even the conventional wisdom lanes, yeah it? the conventional wisdom now mm. that we have of like cycle lanes need to be protected separated yeah. from traffic not in oxford they don't they've got the highest modal share pretty much anywhere mm. in the yeah in the country so um i guess seen one section of segregated oh, when we went over that bridge on yes. the canal just now didn't we yeah that had a but that was a two-way cycle <laughs> lane <laughs> and it, it looked like a one-way cycle <laughs> lane it's so narrow no coming in the opposite direction yeah yeah also you were shifting at that point. Actually, yeah. no, I was on the front, wasn't I? Yeah, you were on the front. Yeah. Power. No, it was beautiful. <laughs> Suppress. I did actually, I yeah. I did, I did witness a um, head-on collision oh. in, a, in a lane not much wider than that, although it was supposed to be one way. And um, I know. Well, on the embankment in London, because the speed a lot of riders go is mm. quite They're hairy, fast. actually. Yeah, yeah. That's it not, is. Because the demand is high there, especially at peak times. And overtaking. If you're overtaking, then you're kind of going... You're overtaking. Face, yeah, you're kind, yeah, of, you're 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 kind of risking yeah, going into oncoming traffic. It's so people take hairy, risks. Actually. Yeah, it is hairy. So what gives then, Laura? What is it? Do we... I think, in my head, I'm thinking... Well, if you can filter the motor traffic out of the city centre core, which, you know, Oxford have, yeah. you increase parking to a level that makes it really undesirable to drive. You make public transport speeds, and you yeah. prioritise public transport. It all sounds mm-hmm. sort of super simple stuff. And then you filter the kind of suburbs, which they're starting to do when we visited the, the low traffic neighbourhoods. Yeah. And kind of you get to a point where you get to that critical mass of cycling. And then you sort of, is it that you don't really need cycle lanes? Like I'm, I'm just because you know. We, who am I? I? Who am I with it. in Birmingham with one percent of trips by bike to come here and say all oh, your cycle lanes aren't mm. aren't very good? You know. I think you. St- I think we still have the problem of kind of just attitudes towards cycling. So I think if you're going to be riding with with sort of traffic, then it either needs to be very slow or you need very considerate drivers. And I don't think we have those. I think having even if you just have one driver in a journey that you feel has put you at risk that's enough to put a lot of people off mm. isn't it i was talking to someone actually i stopped 
on my way into town yesterday and there was a woman building her own pathway to her house and building a wall and I was like oh good on you like you're doing a good job and we just got chatting because she's in a low traffic neighborhood and this road used to be it's quite wide and it's a one-way street and people used to absolutely fly along there in their cars and it was actually quite frightening she was talking about how you know she'd be standing outside talking to a neighbor and if you just see one or two people you'd always see one or two people she says in like 10 20 minutes just absolutely flying down and it's off yeah. it's off-putting so it really doesn't take much much to put people off yeah it's just that one experience and you just think well that was the near miss that next time might be might not be a near miss so yeah yeah, and yeah. I've, I've talked to people who've been put off cycling by yeah. just one experience so yeah i think it, it does need to happen as well because 40 yeah. percent is really good but um, but they could I still do better, right? Yeah, forty percent once a week. I mean, it's only it's like four times the national average, which is which is a lot. But the national average is very low. Very low. So. Yeah, yeah, agree. So we explored the the filtering. Ned, when we were just cycling here, you perked up and said you had some profound thoughts on low traffic neighbourhoods. No, not so, really. I mean, okay. as as you will hear when we speak to Emily, a lot of the discussion is quite detailed, and and you know, I felt a bit unqualified to be honest because there's a lot of procedural stuff. Very interesting to hear. So I kind of backed out of that discussion, but um, I I did. There was a lot of when we well maybe we should hear should we hear the should we hear the little chat with Emily? Yeah, let's do that. Let's set the scene. Yeah, with that. Let's set the scene. So we went on this bike ride with Emily, who took us through her local area where she lives, and um, it's series of low traffic neighbourhood filters, and there are bollards and there are planters, and it was blissful. Genuinely, we were riding for about 20 minutes through these lovely little streets and we barely saw a car a moving car yeah we saw a number of little cyclists little kids we saw bits and pieces of it was just lovely it was incredibly traffic free and that's the point well hello from east oxford we're in a place called the kidneys which is not as strange as it sounds i'm told a former sort of waste ground that's now a bit of a park which not, is nice. You're not selling it, really, are you? Well, it, it, no, it's I mean, beautiful. it's great. Uh, yeah, no, it's Use your powers of description. It's a podcast. Oh, no, it's nice. Experience. It's nice. So I'm not. I'm not Laura Laker. I can't do these wonderful reports from on, then, out, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, we're standing underneath some trees. There's a lot of <sighs> ivy. We've got some stinging nettles. We've got a lot of long grass. It looks like the kind of place that would be great for nature. And there's a kind of dirt path running through it. And we're on the edge of a historical low traffic neighborhood. And we've seen all sorts of people cycling through and kids and families and people walking. And it's it's very, it's very pleasant. We're under the trees, there's birds singing. It's a sunny day. Yeah. And we're here with Emily I'd, Kerr. Councillor Emily, Emily Kerr. Yes, welcome, Emily. You're, Hello, you're the reason you. we know where we are. And we managed to cycle along what's becoming a kind of cohesive network. So, Emily, give us a quick introduction, who you are, what you do, and uh, why you're interested in active travel. So my name is Emily Kerr. I was recently elected to the City Council back in May and I'm very passionate about making things easier for local residents and people with children and people who need to commute safely on their bicycles and walking uh, and via buses. Yeah, just making it easier for people to get around and safer. We're standing here next to a school which previously it was dangerous for people to cycle to and now it's a primary school. Most children cycle. It's great. And did you expect this to be the life that you were leading? You're a new councillor, aren't you? A Green Party councillor. So how is it all been because you were elected and then the low traffic neighbourhoods came. Exactly. So I sort of knew what to expect if I was elected and having just been elected and having the low traffic neighbourhoods in my area has definitely been quite a journey because whilst most residents of the area are supportive and you know we did a pre-consultation 60% of residents are supportive it won't surprise you to learn that many people from outside in fact a majority of people who live outside who responded to the consultation are not supportive. So we've got like a whole range of views and obviously one of the roles as a councillor is to listen to people and to understand if we can make tweaks to the scheme, if we can improve it. But yeah, we've definitely heard everything in the last couple of months. It's been pretty busy. I saw George Monbiot got involved in the LTN debate. Obviously, this has been going on for some time. Yeah, it was quite interesting because he lives around here, doesn't he? He does. He, he lives. Was, yeah, he I was talking about how great they are. And yeah, I think a lot of people have been surprised by how great they are. So people that lived here who were kind of on the fence or who didn't fully understand that, you know, when it's suddenly come in and you've people realising that they can walk around safely, that they can sleep at night because there aren't cars speeding through. I think some of us were prepared and had done research and knew about LTNs from other locations, but a lot of residents didn't. And that's what's been really exciting for me is people coming up to me and saying, oh, you know, I've switched my journey to cycling because it's easier and that's what you want me to do, isn't it? And like, actually, it's all right. I thought it would be difficult and it's okay. Or people saying, 
saying, I've heard birds for the first time since lockdown, or I'm suddenly able to sleep, or my children, I love this one, my teenagers can visit their friends, like they're allowed to go and visit their friends on their own, which they weren't allowed to do before. That's just, that's amazing. So Oxford strikes me as, well, it's a really interesting place, but it is like perfect, it's the perfect size of a city to kind of like encourage and actually attain a paradigm shift in people's attitudes towards active travel because nothing's too far away right yeah but before we set off here and we met at the athletics track where roger bannister broke the four minute mile which i found quite exciting it's very fast by the way four minutes for a mile well we knew that didn't we because it was amazing anyway i digress we met there and before we, you set us off you showed us a little map that was really instructive i'm glad you did that actually because so the area in which these ltns have been instituted is primarily victorian housing inside the ring road yes but outside of the direct city centre, which exactly. is obviously historic and packed with colleges and all that sort of thing. So it's the donut kind of thing. Yeah. But tell me if I'm wrong here. This is my interpretation of what we've just seen. There are two arterial roads in particular that kind of like bisect this area. In, yes, in, in a part. triangle shape, In basically. a triangle shape. Yeah. In, a, in a cheese, to use a trivial a pursuit. Wedge. It's kind of a wedge. Love it. And that was riddled with traffic because when those ring roads sort of chogged up with traffic, people would use these streets to get from A yes. to B, to get, to get across, nip across. So that was always the problem here. But that traffic itself wasn't necessarily parking up in these streets. That's not home, is it? And no. they, weren't, they weren't driving into the city centre to go to work. This is people from maybe outside of Oxford, from the outlying villages or even the smaller towns outside Oxford, perhaps who were going in to do their shopping or go to work in Oxford centre. So it's through traffic that was the problem. Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, definitely some people used it to commute. People used it for local journeys, particularly because it feels quite unsafe. I mean, you've seen how narrow the streets were. A lot of people felt driving was easy for the small local errands, as we know, you know, one in four car journeys is less than a couple of miles like that, that there were definitely those kind of trips then there was people from real out of town being routed via Oxford to avoid the ring roads on a journey from you know north to south England we've seen a lot of that the sat navs would route people and you know we know well that sat navs have hugely increased through traffic in the last 10 years since they came in and so we definitely saw a lot of that and then yeah you know there are some people that use the roads to commute to work sat navs would always direct you via the small roads I mean I used to use the, the sat nav myself and I, I would often get rooted via the small roads and if you don't know any better it kind of makes sense you just follow what your sat nav says so yes I'd say there were all sorts of journeys that happened but definitely a lot of people from out of town a lot of people cutting through a lot obviously it makes it easier on the commute all types of people have you done traffic counts yet because one of the sort of new you've got the historic LTN in this area they were sort of dotted around this cheese wedge and then you've got one that was came in last year and then you've got one that's appeared since you became councillor do you have do you have sort of before and after on the roads around the outside yes so we do from the cowley ltns which are the ones you just mentioned that were introduced in 2021 these ones we don't yet have the data so with the cowley ltns what we saw is that traffic on the peripheral roads increased by 3.1 percent initially in the first six months and then in the second six months they were there it was up by 1.5 percent relatively and i think in, internally it's cut by about 60 percent it's 50 to 60 percent so you know the, wow. the numbers are, are huge mm. um and I believe they're continuing to account, so hopefully we'll see in like the third six months what's happened if, if mm. the, the boundary roads have gone back down to being yeah. flat. But, but, but of course, um, the thing that is really important to mention, I think, is the do-nothing scenario does not mean that traffic won't mm. increase because no. as more people adopt electric vehicles, you know, the Department of Transport's own estimates say that road traffic could increase by 51% by 2050. So often these are 1%, 2% increases are seen as oh well you know but if we do nothing we're going to see those levels of of increases as well absolutely and you know i mean we've definitely seen a massive modal shift as it's called right people shifting to cycling you know particularly with the schools i know that there's sort of an extra 200 kids from the school not this school but the one in the cowley ltns that are now commuting by bike because parents feel safer there's a lot of people saying that they're shifting and again i can't remember the figures how much walking and cycling was up but i think it was about sort of 30 40 50 percent it was that kind of number that we saw the, the changes within the cowley ltns um Obviously, these LTNs, we're still waiting for the data back, hopefully, you know, towards the end of the year. One thing that puzzles me slightly in that, you know, I visited Oxford with my family a kind of a month or so ago. And very clearly, most people wouldn't observe the stuff that I observe because I'm going to go, oh, there's a traffic sign there or oh, that curb's quite a good radius. But most people would go, oh, I like Oxford because I can walk around everywhere and it feels calm and it's quiet and mm. it's interesting and stuff to do. Now, if you live in Oxford you've kind of become accustomed, I guess, to 
you know, the reason Oxford is cyclable, I think, controversially potentially, is not because it's got brilliant segregated cycleways everywhere, because some of the yeah. cycling infrastructure is actually not that good. Mm. But they have managed to filter through traffic. You've got lots of bus gates in the city centre. You've got the new zero emission zone. Mm. You've got um, the no motor vehicles through traffic restrictions and those kind of things. And parking's like 35 quid a day as well. And obviously that only affects visitors and not necessarily residents. But I just wonder, given that a lot of these low traffic neighbourhoods have been uh, controversial, Mm. why people are so surprised by this? Because I think Oxford's a city that has sort of been trying to reduce car use for quite a long time. And it's sort of, yeah, the level of anger, I totally understand it actually for what it's worth. But I kind of feel like it's sort of the narrative that's been building for not just a couple of years since the pandemic but for decades yeah and i think it's interesting i mean the areas that you're talking about in the city center i think people have not driven to the city center for a long time unless they know they need to or unless they need to pick up shopping it's tricky driving in central oxford and has been for a while and there's as you say all the colleges are there all the students on bikes but i think it's introducing safe cycling or restricting traffic in very residential zones that's the new thing for Oxford as you talked about earlier right there's the city centre and we're kind of in the donutty residential bit and actually many people would drive within this bit for local errands to do shopping or leisure I mean leisure is 30% of car trips isn't it you know like so people are very used to driving but not going through the city centre. But the city centre is pretty small. Like, you'll know if you've been there, it's like a square kilometre or something. I mean, that's the kind of the area that's currently got the bus gates in it. Yeah, and also it's, it's only 12 hours, so you can still drive through it in the evening. So I think people are just surprised by being restricted from routes that they've got used to driving in the last 10, 20 years since sat-navs. It's definitely causing, you know, as I say, loads of people are hugely in favour. There's definitely a lot of people that are really opposed as well. There's always a, a sort of tension between city councils and county councils Mm. in terms of who manages the roads and we were talking earlier about changes that have happened around that and one example I remember covering years ago was the plain roundabout which was in 2015 it was one of the most I think the second most dangerous junction in the country for collisions and then there was 1.35 million cycle city ambition fund money spent on improving it didn't actually really improve it's still one of the Mm. most dangerous and I think there was a great deal of frustration what's kind of changed since then and there was a tragic death at the plane of uh, Electra earlier this year Uh, and you know I think all of us that cycle in Oxford are scared of or very cautious on the plane it is really dangerous it's got a lot of through traffic cutting through there it's got a school the private school that has a lot of cars coming there every morning and every evening in rush hour and they come all the way around the roundabout construction traffic goes via the plane like it is a, a dangerous roundabout and I rarely cycle it with my children I get off and walk right it's that is a huge problem having said that the Oxfordshire County Council so I'm City Council is looking to consult shortly on bus gates and one of those bus gates would be on Longwall Street and that would massively reduce traffic at the plane so I think that's something that you know wait for the consultation but would be installed next year hopefully early next year and then that will really be a game changer for safety at that roundabout Mm -hmm. And um, you were saying that it's it's kind of changed at county level in terms of what um, the county is willing to do for Oxford. And I don't know about the wider county. Yeah, I mean, so I think the new administration, again, it's not my administration. It's, a, it's an alliance between the Liberal Democrats, the Labour and the Green Party, the Fair Deal Alliance. And I think they're doing some amazing stuff, particularly in Oxford. I know about better as being Oxford City Council. But, you know, wider, they're introducing 20 mile an hour limits in Whitney. They're improving cycle parking. They're removing parking. They are improving you know links on roads you know resurfacing and then on the city side I think the city's doing some great stuff they've just announced three kind of linking paths so obviously the city don't control highways as you said but for example there's a a park analogous to where we're standing here and the city has just resurfaced and made a proper bike lane alongside it and it felt really unsafe previously and now it's great and safe to cycle with my kids and so they're doing a lot of work on the land that they control i.e. not the highways to make things safer so yeah so i'm really kind of optimistic about what's happening in oxford Mm. the future of active travel here just so i can understand is it like london where the sort of transport body i.e. the county controls the highways by which you mean the a roads no i mean all roads actually all roads roads. yeah yeah yes exactly so i've called it highways but it means all roads all roads 
So all of the LTNs, that was a county thing? Absolutely, yeah. And in fact, there's a couple of sort of joint projects. So if you've been to central Oxford, we've got this amazing area, Broad Street, which is full of cars. And the county and the city have worked together to basically take those cars out. So as of September, what is one of the finest squares in probably Europe with the Bodleian and the Radcliffe camera nearby and just beautiful old colleges just in front of Balliol, that's going to have all the car parking taken out. And that's a joint city and county initiative largely led by county but with you know heavy city support so there's a lot of working together on projects and that park that you talk is broad street isn't it is it broad street the area that i'm talking about the in front of the colleges yes yeah, yeah broad yeah. street yeah, exactly cool. sorry i'll start getting that i just wanted to make sure i was talking about yes the same there thing. you are yeah so broad street i saw some amazing visualizations of what it would look like and then when it came what it looked like it was brilliant and it was all kind of that pop-up stuff during the yes, pandemic exactly. with um planters and nice to see they used actual real grass rather than artificial yeah. grass so it seems to be popular with these kind of things so it's all great and then i was a bit amused because then they sort of took it out and i guess the two-pronged question is I've seen this in my local area, you know, and, and got a little bit of control over this now. But, you know, sometimes arbitrarily we take stuff out because the traffic regulation order comes to the end. And rather than actually like, oh, there's an opportunity to, to lock this change in now. And I guess the follow up is how important do you think it's been during the pandemic? You know, people like seeing what's possible or in this early phase when the new LTNs are installed, being able to actually try them and use them, obviously even being sceptical to start with, but then actually getting into it once you've seen that it's something that you might be able to make use of yeah i think it's super important i mean broad street's a great example right you're referencing last summer when it was converted to half of it was converted to this kind of nice outdoor park and that has got such a lot of support from people actually seeing what it can be like the whole lot is being done permanently in september so that's you know really exciting mm. and i think that definitely allowed people to see what could happen and yeah i mean with the ltns there are just a lot of people that didn't understand it just didn't get it didn't get this well they're like well there isn't a problem I and mean, people you know humans resist change and it's hard to visualize stuff and, unless you know about it so the idea of change isn't appealing but then it's the people that come up to me and say oh well you know I didn't get it before but now I've spoken to people that live there and they say their lives have changed and now I really support it it definitely makes a huge difference and I, I think the momentum created by the pandemic right because you know we all suddenly lived in our local areas a lot more and we were like oh gosh isn't it nice that you can walk around without cars you know there's the classic apple yard study from the 70s that shows how much better life and community is when you don't have super high traffic neighborhoods and in these residential streets i don't know what it is here but it's 92 percent of people live in residential streets in london right and i i assume it's pretty similar here it's possibly even higher because you know the road we came along the ifley road as you saw half of it doesn't have any housing on at all and so you you obviously you just get a majority of people really realizing how amazing it can be to, to see your neighbours. The One of the planters I showed you earlier, they have like Friday morning coffee at now, the street. I think it's like 11 o'clock on a Friday or whatever. Um, and they're still carrying on with that because they can suddenly stand in the street and know their neighbours in a way they couldn't previously. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoy seeing the planters and I, I enjoy, I think we all did, um, some of them are planted up and looked after. They're maybe slightly different to in London where um, they're sort of planted by the council, but they're sort mm. of planted by local people and watered by local people. Some of them are empty, some of them are full of flowers. And um, and there was one, someone had made a little painted <laughs> sign so. for it. What did it say? It, that was the Howard Street bollard. So it's decorated bollard. and it's so it has sweet. like um, flags. Sometimes they <laughs> have flags on it and they put tea and biscuits there when it was sort of launched. So yeah. for truck car drivers that kind of came up and couldn't turn around, they had like a little table of tea and biscuits. But you, a lot of love. Yeah, but you can also see the ones that have made people the most angry because they've been they've been yeah. driven at because you can drive over some of them. They're sort of, uh, they're bendy, so you can actually mm. drive over them with your car. And some of them are, are all scuffed and a couple of them have been cracked at the bottom. It's and they just planters like graffitied <laughs> with the local council's email address written on it if you want to complain oh really um yeah and one said bulky waste please remove yeah um (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah i mean i guess there's always going to be that problem and i guess some people will come around some people won't I mean, I think that kind of summarises the position, doesn't it? In that I've shown you today some sort of lovingly flowery, beautiful bollards that people love. And then there's some other ones that people really hate and feel really resentful about the fact that they can't cut through Mm. where they're used to cutting through. And, you know, I I do really understand that. And obviously it is particularly difficult for certain residents who might have particular needs or like need to get places very quickly. There's concern about emergency vehicle access although as you've pointed out our bollards are soft so there isn't any concern about emergency vehicle access they can drive over them but yeah I mean yeah two different viewpoints definitely I guess just digging into the different viewpoints 
objectively because you know obviously here we're pro active travel mm. and and it's very easy but to to be objective i think looking at where we are now with the birds singing and there's you know some nice houses and with you know leafy suburbs so it's not we're not that far from the city center but it's very much got a vibe that you would say this is a nice place i'd like to live here but might not be able to afford to live here kind of thing now people that live here have now access they haven't always had but have access to good quality cycling infrastructure they they have some cycle parking now as well we've seen that kind of thing and i guess looking at the map that you showed us of the low traffic neighborhoods there's a there's the inside the ring road bit and then there's the outside the ring road bit and the outside of the ring road bit becomes a lot more deprived a lot more quickly yes. a lot more car dependent potentially so i just wonder how you might obviously as a ward council that's not necessarily your job but i guess how we as the collective kind of we would reach out to not only install the benefits and explain the benefits to those people but actually ensure they do get benefits because if there is going to be increase in boundary road traffic, which it doesn't look like there's actually a lot, but if there is, it's going to go, you know, further yeah. out and they might not have the same choices. So the answer often is sometimes, well, those guys need low traffic neighbourhoods too, but mm. that's not always an easy conversation to have. And obviously the council have chosen to prioritise this area first which is nice and, and not necessarily looked at what they can do in the other area which is less well off I mean I'd say actually the areas that, are, that we're talking about is probably little more in Blackbird Leeds are kind of de facto low traffic neighbourhoods anyway and mm. actually have previously been made low traffic neighbourhoods mm. um, where they weren't so Rose Hill there's a couple of cut throughs that have been filtered over the last 20 years is that outside um, the ring road the bit that we're so Black, yeah so Blackbird yeah. Leeds and Littlemore are Rose yeah. Hill's just inside the ring road but a lot of those areas which are more deprived than where we are currently have the low traffic neighbourhoods however that doesn't all to the fact that because they're further away it does make them more car dependent mm. um, this area actually if you look in this ward it's only 50% car ownership so and it's relatively mixed it's relatively deprived obviously we're standing in the nature reserve bit of it you know which is glorious and very leafy and all that but if across the whole LTN area it is quite mixed but coming back to your question which was how can we make things easier for people that live outside the new LTN areas I think access to cycling is like absolutely crucial i think e-bikes are a real game changer particularly cheaper e-bikes so for people that commute you know there's people that work at my school just here that commute in from those areas that we've just been talking about and they were able to switch to e-bikes in the summer because we got them alone but that's not a long-term solution Mm. right that was a summer loan that we have this amazing charity called wheels for all that lend e-bikes out to people Mm. but how can we help people cycle on these new routes because it's possible now to cycle safely from Blackbird Leeds into the city centre. How can we you know, encourage people to go from that learning to cycle? Because not everybody can cycle. Not everyone learned at school. I think it's like 88% of adults, right? But that's a lot of adults that can't cycle. But going from that stage through the confidence to understand how bikes work, how to buy a bike, how to maintain a bike, and then sort of finally moving up the slope to being able to use a cycle for transport because a lot of people don't necessarily view cycling as transport. They view it as a leisure activity. And, you know, that's I was able to help that work for a few people at my school but like how do we make that more systematic how do we give more people access how do we make it the easiest option because it's all going to be about ease and convenience Mm. and very specifically in the LTNs that we've just referred to the Cowley LTNs I think we're looking or the county is looking at making amendments you know and it may be that that like we use ANPR on one of them one of the routes that's kind of blocked which would allow carers disabled people buses to go through Mm. Um, and I think sort of just as you probably know outside of London the county recently has only just got powers to use cameras and wasn't legal before and so I think seeing where those could help some of the very specific problems so really like listening to residents understanding what the blockers are understanding where they need to get to and when and and what the problems are will allow some flexing of the LTNs on a couple of routes that at the moment are physically blocked but might be able to be open to some of the people worst impacted. I guess sort of so-called softer measures, the encouraging people, giving people access, mm. helping helping people learn to ride, and um, and yeah, and all of that. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, cycle to work scheme, making it available for people on a minimum wage, which it kind of isn't always at the Freelancers, moment. Freelancers, yeah, yeah, zero hours contracts. People who are retired. Yeah. yeah. How do we make it? more accessible for people and e-bikes particularly I mean e-bikes are so expensive you know that Halfords now do one for 500 quid but like that's a, you, people don't have yeah. that particularly in this current climate do, you know it's quite timely actually because you wrote a piece in the Guardian didn't you Laura about banging the drum again for kind of e-bike subsidies as part of the article and I think that's always worth mentioning because you know in Paris where my wife's sister lives and we go and see family there you know they've got a scheme by the local Parisian government that provide a, an e-bike 
to citizens for a six-month fixed-term loan for right. €30 Euros a month, including all the maintenance, etc. €30 Euros if you're low-income, €40, Euros, I think, is the standard price. And then after six months, even if you really like it, you've got to give it back. But they then give you a €500 Euro credit towards buying your own. Yeah, great. Um, and guess what? It, it really works. And, yeah. and the bikes that are given back then get put into the system again for new people and things like that. I There's, think we're desperately missing yeah, something like that Yeah, I think there is going to be something like that. There was a trial in Cornwall and then it was uh, put out to National Tender and Cycling UK won the tender to do it. But they I don't know what's happened to the scheme. And I think I mentioned this in the article. It was awarded in May um, and then it's been paused and no one will tell will say anything about what's happening when it's been going to be restarted or... But I think it will include long-term loans, but it can't come soon enough. And also access to work, to so job seekers. Mm. That can be quite There's a difference, I guess, well. between a long-term loan, isn't there, and uh, that people can go in and, you know, they have to have a stock of bikes, but mm. then also being able to provide it at a huge scale with the same sort of subsidies that we saw for electric vehicles, for example. Yeah. That's a serious sort of treasury decision that would be a significant policy, but I think the evidence would show that it would be a pretty sensible thing to, to do. And there's, there's this deep-rooted culture, actually, mm. that e-bikes are some sort of, like, you know, middle-class plaything. Yeah. Uh, and actually, mm. the, we need to get them seen and treated as genuine forms of long-distance and mid-distance transport. So that was great. Thanks, Emily. Um, lots Pleasure. of lots of enthusiasm, lots of knowledge. I thought I was getting quite good at reading off stats, but you're uh, you're much <laughs> you're much more uh, much better than than I am. Um, and and I thought the point that you put out on Twitter was really interesting today. The stat that you mentioned that yeah, like eighty eight percent of people can ride bikes, and yes, there are people that can't, but also that's more of a percentage than people that can drive cars. Yeah, and I mean, and we, we always say, oh, well, what about those? Absolutely. But if you look at people that can drive cars, it's like seventy six percent of white adults. It's 60% of Asian adults and it's 53% of black adults, right? Like there's a, the many fewer people from traditionally deprived backgrounds are able to have a driving mm. license. Like it's mm. astonishing. Yeah. You know, many, mm. most people can cycle. Mm. People talk about, you know, hardworking, hard-pressed drivers, but actually if you're far more likely to own cars and own more cars, the wealthier you are. And, and the people at the bottom of the socioeconomic level uh yeah at least likely and can't really afford cars and especially now with prices going up so yeah it's a quite often misquoted mm. well we're gonna go uh, finish off our little ride emily if that's okay put Brilliant. us somewhere where we can find out where we're going we're gonna head into the city center to see what that's all about and try some of the other low traffic neighborhoods and potentially some of the slightly patchy cycleways if you don't mind me saying but um you know <laughs> you're being very polite <laughs> about it <yeah. laughs> uh, we'll go and do that and yeah thanks for joining us brilliant my pleasure and as a massive truck reverses down the street it's a timely reminder that other logistical forms are available so to find out a little bit more about what's happening in Oxford city centre and the whole the wider cycling scene I'm joined by Chris Benton, who's the founder and CEO of not this massive logistics firm in a big diesel van, but of Pedal and Post, which are a e-cargo delivery firm. They also use vans as well. And I had a quick chat with Chris to find out a little bit more about the scene of cycling more generally in Oxford City and beyond. So Chris, welcome. And the noise we just heard was the reversing beep of a seven and a half ton truck Cargo trying to get. Try, well, it wasn't. <laughs> that, that was the, that was the perfect setup, really, because it. You know, the irony was is that this big, big monstrosity was sort of reversing into this quiet, filtered street at the end. And now we're talking to you, who run a logistics company, which is kind of the polar opposite of that. So, Chris, just give us your your name, title, and what you do and what your company does. So I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Pedal and Post based in Oxford and we're like a psychologistics business and specialise in delivering with cargo bikes, big e-trikes and kind of going ultra low emission in cities for deliveries. Great, well Chris you seem like a good person to talk to about the scene of cycling in, in Oxford. We've been on a tour haven't we Laura? We've, um... We have, we have, yeah. I wonder, yeah. Also I wonder how the infrastructure helps or hinders you compared with like other yeah exactly i was going to say something very similar really and it, it comes from how does oxford's sort of cycling ecosystem support or hinder your business i don't know and then i guess the bit that i've got in my head is being taught probably or the way of school thought in the uk is that it's all about cycling infrastructure and you've got to have really good high quality segregated lanes which i, I believe to be absolutely true 
but Oxford really hasn't got any and you're, you're doing much better than the region that I'm from and that want to you know emulate some of what you've got here so just tell us a little bit about cycling in Oxford what it's like on a day-to-day basis and how I guess it enables your business to thrive hopefully. So for us at Pedal and Post, I'd say like our team's probably ridden over a million miles in Oxford city centre so far. And for us, we kind of sit as cycle couriers in that kind of, you know, super sort of experienced, professionally trained, you know, kind of area. So we're the kind of team that can sort of push back against poor driving. But I absolutely agree. We're called a cycling city and I don't think we live up to that particularly. So... I do take for granted that Oxford is a very beautiful city to ride bikes around, particularly in the hot weather and sunshine at the moment, but it distinctly lacks a lot of sort of cycle infrastructure. So we have a lot of painted lanes. We've tried to push back sort of quite hard on that because we know if we're going to be able to enable people to cycle from, you know, the ages of 8 to 80 and sort of cover the school runs with cargo bikes and kind of inspire to what's possible, it's got to be safe to do it. And... I'd say a lot of our team will sort of, you know, we are paid to cycle, we're properly trained, you know, to be able to operate in the city, but we largely would cycle in spite of the poor infrastructure. Although we are seeing some really sort of substantial changes that we haven't seen in the decade that we've been going as a courier service. We're seeing segregated lanes via ones, you know, starting to go in on some arterial roads. We've got low traffic neighbourhoods that are being supported by county council and you can already see the changes. You know, you can see more people using bikes. You can see them using them for the school runs or going to the shops. And it's really cool to see. You can hopefully be a part of inspiring that. So you say even, you know, Oxford's got kind of got a baseline of a cycling culture, let's just call it. But you're noticing a more recent shift. Maybe Oxford's rest on its laurels for a bit too long. And now there's an understanding that you need to do more. Is that right, do you think? Yeah, I'd agree. And I think you're seeing a bit of a sea change at the moment it tends to be one of those things where the more people who cycle the safer it becomes because you've got sort of slight safety in numbers and we're finding although there's local pushback against these kinds of schemes we know the roads are going to grind to a halt so we're going to have to do something to kind of tackle these sort of problems and become a multimodal city and for us the low-hanging fruit is delivery work but actually showing people what cargo bikes can do and what they can achieve and you know some really good projects coming up in Oxford to sort of you know hire and lease e-cargo bikes and a number of other sort of schemes that we're really hoping to our local businesses and residents will take advantage of. What kind of stuff are you delivering? You do post I seem to remember hence your name but you do do other stuff as well? Yeah, so we've done a whole range of stuff. The core of what we do is what's called last mile delivery, which is working with like big national parcel carriers. You know, the guys will load up the big e-trikes with about 100 parcels. It's the equivalent to a van. And then they'll go off and do all their deliveries through the day. So we probably do around 800 to 1,000 parcels a day at the moment with a team of sort of 22 staff now. But some of the more sort of intriguing and unique things we do is like we deliver chemotherapy medication for the NHS now. And they've seen sort of 50% improvements using cargo bikes to getting those meds from the point of production to the patients quicker. So they can hopefully see patients on time. There's no delays. And yeah, it's been a really successful project. So it's these kind of things that we're really excited to do. And I guess to leave with our kind of final thoughts of this, I keep describing it as cycling culture. I think that's fair. We're sat outside a cafe called The Handlebar. And I think I went past the pub that was something to do with cycling just uh, a few hours ago as well but I know the answer isn't one thing but where do you think it stems from and what's the enabling factor that you know is it just oh there's lots of students or oh it's flat oh it's compact you know yes I think those things are at play but where do you think it comes from and finally where do you think it needs to go next to kind of probably not only retain its status but actually be a genuine cycling city it's interesting there's going to be sort of lots of variability i know for me owning a car living in a city like oxford that has quite high living costs and rental costs for me owning a car just doesn't make sense i sit in the slightly younger bracket although the gray hairs are starting to show running a small business around the sort of 30 mark where i still don't drive and haven't needed to so I think for a lot of you sort of young people it's just it gives them the freedom to know that they don't necessarily have to wait for sort of public transport they can just jump on their bikes and go and I think that's being sort of cheap fast 
reliable, I think are the kind of core things and you just don't need a car in a city like this. Got one more question. Do you have uh, female delivery drivers? Delivery riders, I should say. We do. So we're in quite a male-dominated industry, but I'd say about sort of 10, 20% of our team are female. And we really try and inspire more people to apply. A lot of our applications are from male riders, but we really want to kind of see that kind of uptake, if you like. We want to kind of change those sort of industry norms a little bit because there's a lot of people who really enjoy just cycling around the city and being paid to deliver parcels. I think that's obviously a really valid question. The transport industry and logistics industry uh, generally has that bias deep-rooted. But one thing I had noticed being around Oxford recently and observing is is there seems to be real parity in, in the people cycling, you know, not from a delivery point of view, but just generally the general population which is really really encouraging to see but it's clear that it's not the uh, you know this is a, like all these these things is an evolution isn't it we've got to continue to develop things and um yeah i think it's really interesting to see a, a city like oxford with high levels of cycling from a uk point of view now sort of looking what it's got to do next so that's really really positive so um thanks chris absolute pleasure and enjoy the rest of oxford so the thing I thought that I didn't want to interrupt because you guys were sort of... Uh, there was a lot of focus on cycling, quite rightly, in mm-hmm. that discussion, you know, about getting people onto bikes. But my real takeaway from that bike ride, actually, was less uh, what people were doing on bikes, more just the absence of cars. Yeah. You know, just people sitting in their houses, not absolutely plagued by cars, you know, revving up and down the streets outside them. And, and, yeah. uh, and just... So it's less about kind of active travel actually i know i shouldn't be saying this on an active travel podcast but more about just the absolute liberation of getting cars off the streets yeah. in, sen- in that sense that's what i really took away from that i thought it was real re- revelatory stuff and then i was reminded of in london my only and i think we ages ago on the podcast i spoke about this um the very controversial and now entirely removed series of ltns in ealing council mm. on not dissimilar victorian residential roads you know, sandwiched between a couple of radial areas. Yeah, it's very similar. Very actually, similar. Isn't it? Very similar, and really quite extensive. So, I mean, this is an extensive network in Oxford. This wasn't just one or two streets. This was dozens of streets. It struck me, and Ealing was similar. And I remember telling you that I had to hire a car once to get to pick someone up who lived the other side of it and get them to Heathrow Airport for an early morning flight. Mm. And it did drive me absolutely berserk yeah. because yeah. I could not figure out how yeah. to get round it all. And it did, like, as a driver, I went, yeah. oh, my God. Your blood pressure goes. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I was running late. And I thought, yeah, th- I can really see why. The, the but then listening to this discussion today and having actually seen what that must be like for the residents, I thought, well, yes, it was incredibly infuriating. But I was cutting through their streets. Mm. I was literally doing that. I was that person who was cutting through streets that don't I don't have any stake in to get from A to B. And if I'd been routed along different roads, you know, securely without my sat-nav taking me up these, it would have been much better for all concerned. Yeah. So that's the point. Yeah, I mean... It's <laughs> I was the problem. I was the problem. And it seems such a shame that Ealing Council haven't had the gumption to stick with it in the way that Oxford seemed to do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. True. I think um, the notion of driving along main roads, which is what they were sort of designed for, designed for. you know, if you were just going on your nose or going on an A to Z map, you'd go on the main roads. Yeah. And the fact that we've used these side streets as kind of pressure release valves, basically, and because Google Maps have sort of sent us up and down these roads, which weren't designed for this at all, seems really unfair. And the great irony is... If you want to drive from London to Birmingham, you have to drive from London to Birmingham. You're not going to go, well, I'll just nip around the country roads. You go, I'll go on the M1. And then the M1 um, grinds to a halt because there's a great big traffic jam. Or there's literally a junction that's closed and they have a div- an official diversion that takes you through all these villages, right? The kinds of people who, lived in these vill- who live in these villages who are now absolutely overwhelmed with traffic trying to get around the M1, which is too congested would be precisely the sort of people, I reckon, who would be objecting to a low-traffic neighbourhood, meaning they can't get from A to B, you know? Yeah, and, uh, so possible. It's like, but that's the principle, isn't it? Like, so villages that historically out in the countryside have campaigned to have hugely expensive bypasses built around mm. them, that's all LTNs are. Mm. That's all LTNs are. They're saying, you know, uh, we have our little village here. We don't like people hammering through it in cars. Can, can you not do it? Yeah. You, you people who have to get from A to B and your A to B has nothing to do with us. Can we have a bypass? And AT, LTNs are just reminding traffic that they belong on the bypass. So and it's kind of like, it's only really 
after years of talking about it with mm. you guys, the pennies only really just dropped mm. with me what they're all about, actually. And your behaviour probably would change. People don't drive certain routes because, you know, people would rarely drive into London anymore, or, you know, because they know it's it's difficult. And, and the, the whole side road rat running thing helps, like, it just, it just it kind of bats that excuse out, doesn't it, really? It kind of makes you continue to drive because there's always this release valve, whereas actually what you should be saying is, I know that A road's going to be massively busy. I'm not going to drive in. I've got to, obs- I've got to explore every alternative yeah. before and I resort to Yeah, it gives you alternatives, it? Yeah, it, it really draws the whole process and out my, of behaviour change. My street is very similar to that last street we stopped in, that long one where we stopped at the, at the you know, and had a little bit of a chat. And it gets very congested. As soon as the main roads around me are at all congested, our street, which is half a mile long, blocks up with stationary traffic. It's quite regular. And I just, like, I was so jealous of what they've got here in Oxford. I thought, if you could stop that, and it's literally been stopped in Oxford in these streets, that would be life-changing for the residents of my street. Yeah. Life, literally life-changing. Yeah. And we don't talk a lot about noise pollution, which is a huge health, actually, a, a health disaster. It causes stress. Yeah. blood pressure problems diabetes yeah. like early death it's a, it's a massive problem we don't really talk about a lot and and it just having having cars coming through at night having drivers come through at night is, is really really bad for us so mm. would your neighbors go for it then do you think like getting I don't filter know. in the streets i don't know i don't know so I, I, like, yeah. like many a london street i suspect it would be quite a polarizing issue because mm. i think you know london streets are very diverse in all sorts of ways they're very diverse and you know people of all sorts of different backgrounds and creeds and beliefs live side by side so I don't know it's a very good question but I would like to think that you know if it were to be imposed as as the first iteration of LTNs were yeah weren't called LTNs then then uh, you might get the odd letter written to the local paper and then things would calm down and you just go well that was a damn fine idea you know but I don't know whether any anyone would have the political will to do that in my mind. Yeah, but Emily was saying, you know, it's like it's like every time this happens, there's always people who are worried and concerned, often with good reason. Yeah. yeah, but then once you see it in, and this is why people like Jeanette Sidi Khan, who was in charge of New York's transformation and all the pedestrianisation of Times Square and everything, talked about trials because it's so important for people to see it for themselves because we believe the evidence of our eyes. Yeah. And that vehicle's backing very there's close massive, to my There's a massive bike. Mercedes van reversing very close to Laura's bike. So uh, she's got... There's a look of concentration on his face. That's good. Got past um, it, yeah. yeah, so yeah, it just, it's just really important to be able to see things and understand how it works. Because, yeah. we, ju- you know, stats and facts are all very well, but actually to be able to experience it for ourselves yeah. and say, actually, this has made a big difference to people's lives, my life, mm. my neighbour's lives, and suddenly people can come out on the street and kids can cycle mm. and it just feels so mm. much better when i took um councillors from coventry to, to waltham forest i mean that that just did you know you can talk about it in in emails and you can have meetings and webinars and stuff like that but actually just experiencing it and just taking some we weren't even on bikes we were just walking down the street and they're like you know all the cliched stuff but you know i can hear the birds and i'm you know, I'm in a pretty busy part of London and I'm walking in the middle of the road and there's a nice little garden here and all of these things and straight away people just, just sort of get it when they uh, when they experience it. And it was interesting to hear Emily talk about the Im- impact of the, you know, the, the pandemic and, and the Broad Street kind of pop-up park and all of these things. I think once people get used to it and see this stuff and see what's possible getting you used to it becomes quicker once they can see it in advance i yeah, think and point. what we're seeing here is because we've cycled through those streets in the, that were filtered in the 70s and 80s as well no one's shouting about those anymore no one's complaining about those and i think what we're talking about is the um it, it, you know is how long it takes to adapt to change and it's like the same with me like you know i i, I drive a car still like not lots but i drive a car and if there's ever like road work somewhere that I wasn't expecting them and I'm waiting there and it's adding like five minutes onto my journey it will stress me out and I'll be like I can't wait till this goes back to the way things were and my thought isn't like they need to do those roadworks my thought is I need to get on with my life please but that that's just an normal emotional response isn't it and it can't last forever yeah. I don't think so um, that was Oxford, wasn't it? Yeah, I thumbs I up for Oxford. Thumbs, thumbs up. Thumbs Should yeah, we do well Cambridge I'd next? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, might I could show you my old college, can I? Did you go to Cambridge? Of course, you went to Cambridge. Yes, multi-award-winning author. Of course, you went to Cambridge. Never won an award in my life. Not that I'm likely to.
All right, so that was um, that was that was our Oxford special. It's nice to be podding again. You've been listening to Streets Ahead. Our editor has been once again Claire Mansell. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead. Rate us, review us, and do all the usual things, and send us lots of love. And we'll see you next time. flexibility take yoga want flexibility with your health insurance check out united healthcare insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they offer flexible budget-friendly medical dental and vision coverage that may be right for you more at uh1.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.